See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the Lenten season and it's also spring. And uh, it's just, it just, we're just moved, aren't we, to get things in order when spring gets here. Last night, I just think, I did spring cleaning this past week. It didn't even realize I was doing it because it just naturally just flows that whenever the weather gets better and you can get outside and, and, uh, uh, and it just things on the inside, just if they're not right, you want to get them right. And, uh, it's the same way in the church. The Lenten season falls here, you know, fat Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. And that's whenever you take all the old ingredients, the old, uh, uh, leaven, the old flour, the old fat, whatever else that you had there. And so everybody would pull it out back in the old days and uh, they'd cook it all up and get rid of it so it could start off with new foodstuffs and all for the the year ahead and for the, the time ahead. And so uh, it is, it just all falls together and we're looking forward toward Easter that time of new life. And we see the, the beginnings of it. And it just stirs us, doesn't it? And it stirs us to want to do what the Lord wants us to do as well. And so this verse really fits us at this time of the year where uh, John tells us, Beloved, now 
we are children of God. Not someday, somewhere, other time. Now we are children of God. And it has appeared, not appeared as yet, what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And this is the the heart of what he says. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Jesus uh, told us in the, the Beatitudes Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so the first thing that we see Jesus saying in this particular beatitude, and he makes it clear in a lot of other things that he says, is that uh, he's concerned about our heart. And our heart is important as far as our relationship with God. It's not enough to just clean up our act on the outside. He's, he, he really got onto the scribes and Pharisees about this. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of uh, extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisee, First cleanse the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. So the aim of Jesus is not to reform the manners of society, but to change the hearts of sinners like you and me. And uh, you see the heart is what you are and who you really are. In the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings, when nobody knows about it except God. If you were a tree, what you are at the hidden root matters as much to God as what is visible on the branches. Uh, he says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's in 1 Samuel 16, 7. You see, the heart is the center of all the issues in our life. What comes out of the mouth, Jesus tells us, proceeds from the heart. And so the heart is utterly crucial to Jesus and to his father in heaven, what we are in the deep private recesses of our lives is what he cares about the most, because that's where it all begins. Our relationship with him, our connection to the world and to other people. Jesus didn't come into the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. That's not why he came. He came into this world because we have such dirty hearts. They needed to be purified. My own conviction is that the fundamental problem in American society and culture is that we attempt to solve human problems while neglecting the centrality of God in the life and soul. 
And I must confess, the church has been guilty of this as well as our government and every other place. We have taken the centrality of God out of it. I've watched this happen through the years. Used to, we'd send missionaries to uh, share the gospel because when the Lord comes into someone's life, he makes it better and they are transformed and transformed people transform people. But all of a sudden we started sending missionaries to help people who were having trouble, who were hungry, who were this and that and said, Oh no, no, no. We don't tell them about Jesus. We just want to take care. We just don't want them to die. We want to show them the love of God but we don't want to offend them with our faith. And so it's gotten, so now we send missionaries that are instructed not to tell people about Jesus unless they're asked. And so that's what it's come to. And so the transforming power of Jesus is withheld from people that need it. I wonder how many of us have that transforming power at work within us. And there are people all around us who need that power. And we could tell them about it and we don't. Well, that's just my own conviction is that uh, we're neglecting the centrality of God in the life and the soul. We're so bombarded by human tragedies of poverty and crime and abuse and neglect and war and the injustices of man to man that we're tempted to agree with the world that is just useless pie in the sky and the by and by to be concerned with whether the soul will ever see God, that there are more important matters that we need to take care of. But this is the greatest of all tragedies that in seeking to relieve the temporal miseries of people, we set aside the centrality of God and the good news that he has for everybody. But Jesus comes to us this morning and he says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not first because they change society, but first because they will see God. Seeing God is a great goal of being pure. That's the one of the greatest goals is seeing God. Abandon that goal and human culture collapses to ruin. Now, there are a lot of people that misunderstand what it means to see God. They think that you're not going to see God till you die. It reminds me of the story of, well, it's not a story. It's just kind of a little joke where the little boy standing there with a worm in his hands. Poor little worm. Your mama don't love you. Your daddy don't love you. Your brother don't love you. Your sister don't love you. But little worm, God loves you. You won't see God. <laughs> because that's their idea. In fact, I read a sermon this past week where this preacher made really good points. 
But all through that, he's talking about, you're not going to get to see God till you die. And uh, it's like you don't get to participate in the kingdom of God until you die. And it's like the Beatitudes are all for something that happens after your funeral. And that's not what the Beatitudes are talking about. That's not what this is talking about. So this morning, I want to just ask briefly, what is it? What does it mean to see God? What does it mean to be pure in heart? And how do these two go together? So first of all, uh, to see God means to be admitted into his presence in the here and now. You know, after the plague of darkness in Egypt, Pharaoh exploded to Moses with these words, get away from me. Take heed to yourself. Never see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. When a king says you'll never see my face again, he means I will never grant you admission into my presence. You're not going to see me again. It's in the same way we call the doctor's office uh, and we say, can we see, can I see Dr. Jones? We don't mean, can I see him from a distance? Hey, Dr. Jones, or that we can see a picture of him. Uh, What we mean is, can I have an appointment to be with him in his presence? And so first, seeing God means being admitted into his presence. Next, it means being awestruck by his glory. You can't even see God until you come into his kingdom, until you are made supernaturally a child of God. And then whatever you do, all of a sudden, just like we sang and he lives, you see him all around you. You see him at work. You see him at work in your life, in nature and everywhere. We have a direct experience of his presence, his power, his providence and his holiness. And we see at work in our lives. And just as we see all this horrible stuff just coming forth today, one thing after another, and it seems like it gets faster and faster. That's the word of God coming true. He said that people's hearts were going to grow cold and they would think that uh, the friends of God were their enemies. I mean, it's just getting to that point clearer and clearer, which means the day of the Lord's coming And for us to see him fully is closer and closer. And it gives us reassurance. It doesn't frighten us. It doesn't scare us. It doesn't make us angry. It increases our hope and our confidence that everything in God's word is true. After God confronted Job in the whirlwind, Job said, I had heard of thee 
by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see thee. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Seeing God is the great goal of being pure and remaining pure. Virtually all of our spiritual sight in this life is mediated to us through the word of God or the work of God in our lives. We see images and reflections of his glory. We hear echoes and uh, just vibrations of his voice. But there will come a day, and as we said, it's getting closer and closer when God himself will dwell among us and his glory will no longer be inferred from the lightning on the mountains and the roaring seas and the constellations of stars. Instead, our experience of him will be direct. His glory will be the very light in which we move. And the beauty of his holiness will be tasted directly like honey on the tongue. So seeing God means not only being admitted into his presence and living with him daily, but also being awestruck and guided and directed by him. This is uh, what the hymn he lives that we started with this morning is all about. And that's why it grabs our hearts because it's a testimony of our experience of the truth of seeing and experiencing God every day in our lives. Finally, seeing God's means being comforted by his grace. Again and again, the psalmist's cry out to God that he not hide his face from them. For example, in Psalm 27, it says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Hide not thy face from me. Hide not thy face from me is the same as saying, be gracious to me. Because he looks upon you when he's gracious to you. And when he turns his face from you, you're dismayed because you've learned to walk and live in his presence. So to be pure in heart. And let me just say this, Sean Sean Kierkegaard wrote a book one time. And the title of the book is Purity of Heart is to will one thing. And that's a good definition provided that the one thing that you will is to please God. If that's the one thing that you will in your heart, then that's to please him. Well, I'm uh, I don't I'm going to I'm running out of time. I don't have a whole lot to go through a lot of other stuff. But so what I want to do at this point is just kind of break from my notes and just kind of sum all this up. And if you'll recall in my children's sermon, I think it was last week, we uh, talked about how in the Garden of Eden, 
Adam and Eve and God were just like this. They walked and talked daily in the garden. And then Adam and Eve turned away from God in sin. And God had to turn his back on them. And then because of his great love for them, through the cross, through Jesus coming into this world, he made a way where he could look on us and call to us because you see, he didn't die just for the sins of those who repent. He died for everyone in this lost world filled with sighing, dying, crying humanity. He loves each one of them. And there was a place on the cross for each one of them. And so he starts calling us through his precious blood to come back into relationship with him. And as we turn from our sin and from the world, we wind up being united with him again. In this world, where we walk with him and talk with him. And he tells us that we are his own. We're children of God once more. And because we're children of God, John says, because his light burns brightly in our hearts, we want to serve him and please him because we're in a love relationship and you want to please those that you love. And his light, his light shines in our hearts. And as his light shines in our hearts, it shows us nooks and crannies that uh, uh, have been there all along that we didn't see before. And so we clean them up, don't we? It's spring cleaning time. We clean them up. And, uh, and there are places that Oh, we find that we have let cracks come in and it's starting to separate us from God. And we don't want that. And so we clean them up. And what cleans and cleanses our hearts today is the same thing that cleaned them and cleansed us and made us pure at the very beginning. It's the greatest cleansing agent ever in all creation, the powerful and precious blood of Jesus. It washes us, cleanses us, and keeps us pure. And we want to avail ourselves of that. And so we look not on the dirtiness, not on the filth. We look on the beauty of his holiness and holiness. People get itchy again. They get edgy and kind of scared when you talk about holy living. And yet that's the only way to live in Christ is in holiness because living a holy life is nothing more than living a God pleasing life. And if your heart is turned toward pleasing him, you're his child. He loves you. And everything is cool. But you want to, and you want to keep it that way.
And so that's why we celebrate communion. It's not like you're saved and then you don't need to avail yourself to appropriate the blood of Jesus anymore. Because like uh, D.L. Moody said, whenever he was asked if he needed to be filled with the spirit and uh, he told the lady many times, said, why many times? Because I leak. Well, we leak. Sometimes the world gets in there in different ways. And whenever we leak, we need the cleansing power of the precious blood. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.